The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Spark Lab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that wants to prove it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by the spin-off with help from Vodafone Zone. Please welcome your host, Simon Pound. Have you ever turned on your favourite live sports game to be disappointed by the commentators? Maybe it's an Aussie butchering Māori or Pacifica names. Maybe it's just that they're talking out of their hats. Well, Ben Reynolds and Michael Prendergast did something about it. They used internet software to do their own commentary, growing to thousands of fans who would tune in despite audio delays, lags from live action and all sorts of technical shortcomings. Shortcomings in which they saw an opportunity. So they built the perfect system to allow multiple commentaries on a single stream of video. They prototyped, launched and have now built this tool into Spork, their company that has had millions of viewers view video with their audio, is used by Māori TV, FIBA and soon lots of American sports outfits to allow choice for viewers and savings for broadcasters. It's an idea driving up viewership, engagement and getting backing from capital that earned them a place at the Vodafone Zone Accelerator to talk the journey so far and the plans ahead. Ben Reynolds joins us now. G'day, Ben. Morning. Thanks for having us along. Hey, thanks so much for coming in. So take me back to that original idea. What was it that uh, that made you decide to start doing your own commentary? Sure. I think the inspiration for sport can sit squarely with Justin Marshall. Uh, so we were we were sitting at home, and I think like every rugby fan, we've we've sat there watching the All Blacks or the Super Rugby, and and just got sick and tired of the Boomfers and the <laughs> Mio Mai's uh, coming through the commentary every every few minutes. And so we said to ourselves, Hey, look, we can we can do a better job. And so it really started out as a as a passion project with us and our friends having a little roster of people dropping into the apartment every weekend to to do commentary. So I think our first match was actually Australia Pakistan at the Cricket World Cup back in 2015. And over the course of 2015 we did hundreds and hundreds of, of commentaries on different events and sort of copying the style of the ACC guys and getting people to come and do guest appearances and soon we had thousands of people who were who were tuning into our commentary each week. 
how did you grow that listener base? Like, did you just kind of chuck it out on the internet? What happens? It was it was really social media. So we, we got into this really cool zone where because each week we'd have two or three guest commentators, those commentators, a requirement of them coming and appearing on the show was you've got to share it on, on your social media. Mm. And so suddenly the audience from last week was watching and we had this brand new audience who was the commentator's social network watching as well. So we quickly built this organic following who were muting their TVs and, and listening to us despite the fact that it's two minutes out of time with the with the TV. <laughs> and did you play on that? Like, you know, oh, there's a wicket, you'll hear about it in two minutes? Or? Yeah, well, I mean, a little, a little <laughs> bit to a certain extent. I think the, the interesting piece we, we sort of soon figured out was it's really hard to actually know what what is live like if if you if you live in uh, mount eden near, near eden park or, or near mount smart you're going to know that you you hear the cheers 30 seconds before there's a before there's a wicket on tv right, right? Um, and so for us it was really it was really interesting sort of figuring out hey where, where do we sit on this live spectrum of uh real time versus being two minutes delayed and what, did you kind of um, have some kind of watch setting thing with the listeners or the viewers so they'd know where you were? Where you were? Yeah. So the, the interesting thing we we ended up doing was um, so my my sort of job at the time was I worked with a, a local VC firm called called Sparkbox Ventures, and um, with all of this interest we were getting, we were starting to see all the hallmarks of I guess what you'd call market validation. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Is, yeah. The, is there demand for people to listen to to different commentators? And so what we decided was, hey, look, rather than quitting our jobs and going doing this just yet, why don't we try and hack something together uh, in our spare time that sort of does the synchronization? So we built this uh, me and Michael and a few friends built this really buggy version of, of Spork which it hung off the back of YouTube and it could only sync on a laptop it couldn't do it on uh, on mobile devices it was super super hacky but it sort of did it uh, and really for us that was the that was the first step of saying right this has moved from a passion project into something we were actually going to try and build a little bit of IP and, and, and see if we can validate the product a little bit further. And so that was something that you looked at pretty early on, uh, or, or was there a moment when you thought, oh, there's a business in here? So it was about up to four to six months of, of just doing the commentary for fun that we started to say, oh, well, maybe let's try and solve this this synchronization problem. Um, and so this is getting towards the end of, of 2015, where we actually put sort of hands to computer keyboard and uh, and, and started uh, tapping out a little bit of code to, to make it all work. Um, so yeah, the timelines, there was, a, there was a bit of time in there, it was just a bit of fun before we before before we really said, hey, maybe there's something interesting in here that we can we can have a go at. What skills did you have in the group of you and your mates? Like, was it all there? Uh, is that why it was hacky? You kind of made it up as you went along? Or, or did you have the networks to kind of get that started? Uh, I'd say we uh, collectively probably all have no skills, but um, <laughs> sort of figuring it out on the fly. Um, so so Michael, my, my business partner and co-founder, he's he's got a background in engineering science, um, spent a bit of time at Becker, um, doing a lot of work on of all things, advanced weapon systems for the New Zealand Defence Force, as you do. Um, clear overlap with sports commentary. Um, and then my background in VC was more from the, I guess, relationships and um, sort of sales and marketing side, side of things. So yeah, we had a, we had a good sort of symbiotic skill set, but um, definitely not the 20-year the industry veteran titans that you often see sort of going and founding these things. And you started out with that idea of providing alternate commentary for sports things pretty much like, like for fun isn't it is that kind of the idea correct but then did you then did you see pretty soon that there were actually people whose um 
you know, maybe their home team was playing and they weren't getting their side of the story out. Yeah, exactly. So what, what we did after we built this little hacky version of, of Spork is we went out and said to a bunch of amateur sports organisations, hey, you're not actually streaming anything. Can we put some of your content online so that us and our friends can commentate it? So our first partner was, was Auckland Cricket, who streamed a bunch of their Plunkett Shield matches um, and a bunch of their county-level cricket games. Um, and so we'd be sitting there with a camcorder following following the action on the side of the game, streaming it to YouTube or go on to our system and then people would be commentating it from all around New Zealand uh, and then soon we had a commentator in Australia and then one in London and commentators were, were, were growing and growing and we started doing a lot of work with, with other amateur sports organisations so the likes of New Zealand Swimming and New Zealand Squash and um, a lot of those other sports who um, weren't quite at the, the sort of broadcast stage mm. but were really keen to get content online so their fans could commentate it uh, and we were just getting really really good numbers where people were just actually tuning in and listening to all these different commentaries and we had professional players coming on and commentating tournaments and kids who just finished up at their high school champs coming on to commentate their friends and all sorts of things like that so we started seeing a lot of grassroots people getting really really excited about what we were doing and so did you have to build out the infrastructure to actually film everything and live stream it as well so in order to get the 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 spork idea of off the ground you had to provide the the imagery yeah what well, was interesting at that, at that stage we we didn't really think that someone like sky tv or, or Māori television who are one of our one of our really really good content partners now would would ever take us seriously and so we really said to ourselves hey look what's the easiest way that we can go and get some access to some content and the easiest way was just to do it ourselves mm-hmm. um so I borrowed a camcorder from from mum and dad and um sort of figured out how to stream everything online and it was it was a pretty uh again i use the word hacky a lot but a pretty hacky setup with a with a camcorder on the on the side of the pitch and sort of me sitting there texting scores through to the commentators so that they could <laughs> give score updates because there was no score graphic on the on the stream and things like that but um look we got we got the numbers and it really validated that hey there's a there's a kernel of something really interesting here and with that kernel you then went to Maori tv who are one of your first kind of big broadcast partners hey and was that driven by kind of listening to the horrendous mispronunciation of Māori and Pacifica names uh, that you get in the, the league? Yeah, that, w- that was part of it. It was funny. They, they actually ended up coming to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they got in touch with us and said, hey, we've, we've seen what you guys are doing. We, we think it's really interesting from the ability to have multiple different languages. Um, so obviously, as a, um, as a state broadcaster, they've, they've got to provide um, a certain level of coverage in te reo Māori. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for them, it was a really easy way to say, hey, here's a way to do English commentary, Taiwan Maori commentary. Hey, we could also, if we want to, throw in Fijian and Samoan and a variety yeah. of other Pacifica languages, um, so that we've got a really broad broadcast and a really appealing product to, to different demographics around New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So, really, for them, that was where they saw the use case. Uh, and so, for us, what it meant was we had to go back and sort of rejig our entire infrastructure to be able to deal with uh, being on. A, a product like Māori television, right? Yeah. So rather than dealing with a sort of hacky camcorder, suddenly we're on broadcast level quant- content coming out of the New Zealand high school basketball champs, and we've got uh, you know a certain level of service that we've got to provide. Uh, and so it was it was really a really good opportunity for us to actually go and build the proper product and take the time to spend a bit of time doing a bit more research and development and and really maturing where the product was at. And so that kind of technical side of things, is it then if you're able to do multi-track audio for a single video track at broadcast 
quality spat out in the kind of formats that a national broadcaster does, it suddenly becomes a very transferable product to every media creator. Exactly. And the, the really interesting thing about Māori television is, is they use to do all their video streaming a, a video provider called Brightcove. So they're a big company out of, out of Boston who've got customers all, all around the world. Mm. Um, I mean, Channel 7 in Australia, Cricket Australia, a ton of other um, sports broadcasters use them. And so we had to build an integration with their product to do this Māori television um, integration. Uh, and so at the back of that, suddenly we had this product that we could just go and replicate a thousand times um, to every single one of their customers. Uh, and so really that's what the last 12 months has been about, has been saying, hey, look, let's align ourselves to Bright Cove, as well as sort of three or four of their competitors, uh, and um, go out and hit a lot of their customer base and, and, and really try and grow our own customer base, piggybacking on on the, the sales work that they've already done. Yeah, and also I see that you have, as a team, done some really interesting stuff with using those case studies as kind of uh, beachheads to then start. So you get one broadcaster and then you turn that into a broadcaster in a bigger market and a bigger one. Tell me how that kind of goes. How was it when, um, you you know, a couple of uh, new entrepreneurs from a place called New Zealand that no one's ever heard of get on the phone to the national broadcasters in a bigger market? Sure. So I I always say that, look, New Zealand's a great place to start a business, but a really bad place to scale from. So sort of what I mean by that is, look, we've got I think the, the highest transparency ratings in the world, it costs 120 bucks to set up a company online. You can do it in 20 minutes. Um, it's a super easy place to start. Uh, and also getting those first customers are, are, are really, really easy. Like, I mean, multi-television was a sit down around a board table, come to some sort of agreement. We're done in, in an hour and agreed on the integration. Um, and I think starting here is a really a really good way to get your first case studies. But obviously, there's just not the domestic market size here to support uh, the ambition uh, for a software company like us um, to, to really grow into, into what we want to grow into. Um, and so for us, it's been exactly like you say, a case of saying, well, look, let's use this case study with Molly Television to get into some broadcasters in Southeast Asia. Let's use them to get into the US. Let's use them to get into everywhere else. And it's really been a, a case of ballooning up from... Uh, case study to case study so you could say it all it all sort of started with Auckland cricket and uh sort of the the NFL is the limit right yeah yeah, yeah. And, and you um as a team took down FIBA which is the biggest basketball organization outside of the NBA in the world and and, and t- tell me about that with um the idea of the multi-language Sure. So FIBA is a really interesting organisation. They, um, you can sort of think of them like like FIFA, but for for basketball. So they're based in, in Geneva in Switzerland. Um, they run a lot of the European leagues as well as all of the youth events around the world. So each year they stream around a thousand youth basketball tournaments from places like Guam to Cairo to Sao Paulo to all over the world. And the biggest challenge for them is it's so expensive for them to one stream the content but then two, to fly commentators all around the world. Mm. And if you want to do what what Spork does, you don't just have one commentator flying around the world. You've got to have 100 if you do it the traditional way. And so instead with with Spork, they could say, well, we don't need to fly any commentators. We can save $10,000 up front on every single event. Uh, And then secondly, we can go and say, 
right, well, let's offer 50 different languages. Uh, and it's really, really easy for them to suddenly have uh, an Italian kid sitting in their parents' basement in Rome uh, screaming in Italian for, for, for Team Italy uh, through to a, a professional American basketball commentator doing a very sort of hearty and traditional play-by-play uh, um, -play American style call. Um, so for FIBA, they, they just saw it as a as a win-win-win uh, all around the all, all around. And yeah, I mean, they got some fantastic numbers out the back of um, uh, out the back of using Sporks. I mean, one of the examples we we talk about a lot is the the under nineteen World Basketball Champs in twenty seventeen, where they had over ninety commentators in, in five languages and over six million people tuned in to to listen to those different commentators. And that must be a pretty cool feeling to, I don't know, look at your stats for the day and go six million people far out. Yeah, it was it was kind of funny. So the the event was yeah. the the tournament was taking place in in Cairo, yeah. and obviously our, our engineering teams in New Zealand were all based in New Zealand. We got an office in the US now, but all based in New Zealand at that time. Uh, and so because the event's taking place during the day in Cairo, that's roughly 3am in the morning. So the tournament was, was six days. Uh, I think I left the office for maybe four hours of those six days. Uh, and the rest of the time it was um, sort of the engineering team and, and everybody sort of taking turns napping uh, in the upstairs on the couch uh, and then popping down to do the next game while the next person took a bit of a nap. Um, but uh, it was a it was a full-on effort, and that's exactly what I mean about New Zealand being a really tough place to scale a business from, trying to deal with time zone coverage and support around the world and all those sorts of things is, is quite challenging from a little old New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely, uh, especially when um, your biggest markets for sports are in the Northern Hemisphere on a direct swap. So you've actually gone and opened up an office in America to to try, try and tap into that. Correct. So we've got a, a small office of, of two guys based in Ann Arbor in Michigan, which is true Midwest sort of sports country. Yeah, like, um, like college football central. Exactly. So it's a funny story, actually. Michael and I went up to uh, Ann Arbor to sort of see uh, Alex and Jacob sort of set up the office at the end of last year. And they've got the biggest, this college, the University of Michigan, has the biggest stadium in the world yeah. with 120,000 uh, seater football stadium. And so we go along to this football game and there's four times as many people as you can pack into Eden Park mm -hmm. sitting there screaming their lungs out for, oh, um, and it's a it's a whole day event people go and uh, what, what do you call it a tailgate tailgate yeah, yeah, yeah. you yep. park up your ute and put a barbecue on the back and drink some beers while you wait to go in it's yeah. um it's real wholesome fun it's really interesting comparing the American crowds to the to mm -hmm. the Kiwi crowds at a sports match right I think we we don't know how to chant here we don't know how to support our team um, it's it's really funny comparing we, we, that we've to got the... two settings like uh, not not drunk and glum or too <laughs> drunk and not good exactly exactly <laughs> Yeah, and they and they just go for it. 120,000. And so the scale there, and also like, you know, if you spend so much time in the States, you notice that like everywhere has four sports TVs going at once. And people know as much about college basketball or college football as they do about the top professional leagues, often more. Definitely. So the, the really interesting thing for us has been as we go to the US, it's recognising and acknowledging that, hey, we're not going to get the NFL or the NBA on day one. And so our strategy in the US has actually been uh, go, for, go for the grassroots stuff again. So we've we've really gone back to basics in, in North America. And I mean, I'll, I'll throw some interesting stats at you here. So there's about 3,000 colleges in the US that's from the big state schools like the University of Michigan right down to a small Catholic university in, in the Bible Belt in Idaho. Um, 3,000 colleges, half of them are streaming all of their athletics content. Mm. So there's almost half a million streams each year that are being produced from women's soccer to men's basketball to everything in between. Um, and of those 1,500 schools, half of them have no commentary. 
So there's almost 800 colleges who are streaming commentaryless content in North America, which adds up to a quarter of a million streams each year, which is really where we're trying to hit as our first target uh, up in the US. So really chasing those those niche schools, those smaller schools, those schools that haven't been able to organize a commentator for the season. And instead it's saying, hey, look, you spork, it's an easy way for the fraternity brother to sit in his um, frat house and commentate the game. Um, Or your alumni in in New York can log on and and commentate one one of your games. So really we've gone back to basics and recognizing that hey we want to build really grassroots demand in North America um, before we go and chase the the ESPNs and the NFLs and the NBAs of the world but they'll they'll be watching from the beginning because the I mean the huge opportunity there must be all of the um, the, the the sports uh, what do you what do you call the the, the people that um, spend their time trying to find the next generation of c- scouts the scouts, the yeah. scouts who are watching all of these games and they no longer have to head out to these fields are we logging into Spork yeah exa- exactly I mean that's there's definitely some mm. interesting applications from the mm. from the coaching and, and and sort of player development angle as well I think I think for us it's really a case of saying look we're quite happy if ESPN comes and knocks on our door and says we'd love to do a deal but we recognize that sort of being pragmatic and trying to build the business I guess like we built it in New Zealand by starting out with this grassroots stuff is is, is probably the most sensible way um, I mean I think we I mean we're having the conversations with with the ESPNs and the NBCs of the world but they're going to take 18 months so we may as well do all this other stuff while we're here to keep us busy tell me about the talent side of things because um it started from you you as a group uh offering your own take on things and your own kind of character to the um the the records and has spork been built by the um you know are there stars in the same way that there's stars on twitch or youtube vlogs and the like well we're starting to see it it's been really interesting a few of our commentators have now used their sport portfolio to go to the likes of um, tvnz Mm. and sky sport new zealand and say here's some commentary i've done is this interesting to you guys and they're saying hey actually that's really cool yeah, here's a job. Um, and so it's quite cool to see a lot of our commentators are now turning into either getting careers out of it uh, or they're becoming micro-influencers in their own right. Um, and so one of the interesting things for us, which we're, which we're sort of launching with the, with the Spork TV product, which is our, our grassroots product, um, not our broadcast product, but our, our grassroots one, uh, is we're launching things like tip jars and micropayments to support commentators so That's they can cool. actually monetize the work that they're doing on, uh, on, on Spork. Yeah, that's that's really cool, uh, and and a great kind of path, like um, yeah, for people to turn their their passions into something that pays them. Which uh, exactly, I mean, I, I'm not sure if you come across Twitch before. Yeah, but yeah, Twi- yeah, yeah, So yeah. Twitch, which is um, uh, yeah, it's esports streaming, right? Mm-hmm. So people people will broadcast themselves either on PlayStation or PC or whatever they're doing uh, with with a game that they're playing or a video game that they're playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Amazon recently recently acquired them, and uh, Twitch they do all of these sorts of things as well, where they help influence monetize their following and monetize their viewership uh, and really we see Spork becoming I guess a, a twitch for sports commentary if you yeah. if you like it yeah yeah huge opportunity there and this idea as well about uh, as any New Zealand fan will know uh, when you um, hear the uh, Australian commentators and everything goes a bit one-sided and you're thinking oh get out of it 
But imagine being kind of um, a Fijian or Samoan or, or Tongan uh, viewer. Well, the All Blacks are commenting. You know, the All Blacks are playing your team, and our commentators are just dismissing. I don't know. It must be amazing to be able to have those extra perspectives available uh, in what's traditionally been a very top-down kind of I mean, story. I think, I think beyond the the pure language play, I think the the more interesting play for us is just different demographics. Yeah, yeah. So you think about a, a, a young woman coming to to watch a sports game, and she's got. Ian Jones and Justin Marshall and all of these, uh, to, to put it bluntly, old white men in suits uh, commentating the game for her. Mm. Um, and she doesn't look up to them as role models. She doesn't look up to them. She doesn't have anything in common with them. That, that um, locker room kind of camaraderie is just whatever. She doesn't know what yeah. happened at the last World Cup. She's yeah. just there to watch, uh, learn about a game of rugby and watch a game of rugby because mm. she plays it on, on Saturday with her mates. And so instead you can say, hey, well, let's let's find somebody that she looks up to to, um, mm. to, to come and do the commentary. Um, and so whether that's a social influence or it's, a, um, it's, it's one of the female All Blacks or it's, um, it's, it's somebody who she can identify with and is more likely to watch that content. Uh, it just makes it a, a win-win for, for, for the viewer or the fan and also the broadcaster because they're getting more viewers and, 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 and she gets an experience that she really likes the look of. Um, so there's some really interesting beyond the, the pure language play if you think about the, the gender piece, also the, the accessibility piece. Yeah, yeah. So being able to offer either sign language because we can do a little video insert um, or audio description commentary alongside the, the, the traditional commentary which appeals obviously to less able-sighted viewers or, or, or deaf viewers. Um, and so there's all sorts of different demographics out there which the traditional stale pale male commentators just don't hit. Yeah, that's exciting. And tell me about the journey so far. So it's been kind of three years since, well, I don't know, 2015 that you were building the first stuff. Uh, and along that way, there's been um, incubators. How, how was the Vodafone Zone incubator experience for you? Sure. Yeah, so I think I handed in my notice in January of 2016 was when we sort of came full time on this. So it's, uh, yeah, a little, a little over two years since we've been full time working on this, which is which is quite exciting. Um, so the Vodafone Zone was awesome. I mean, we took part in the first, uh, first grouping of, of Vodafone. Vodafone zone through and obviously I mean Vodafone's a powerhouse when it comes to, to sports media in New Zealand uh, and so some clear wins for us there being able to get directly to people like the Warriors and Team New Zealand and um, a lot of those other brands through um, through Vodafone and then probably the other the other important piece to it is I mean they're obviously a global brand and so being able to walk into a meeting in the US where Vodafone sort of sold their American business to Verizon and immediately people could make the connection and say oh you've got something to do with Verizon that's, mm. that's, that's quite big, that's quite relevant. Um, and so it gave us a lot of credibility uh, early on when um, sort of our, our young faces may not, uh, <laughs> may not inspire a lot of confidence given how young we are, but um, having credibility of a brand name like Vodafone uh, definitely helps. Yeah, and, and how about funding and the like um, as you have managed to grow the service enormously, service some international markets, set up an office, uh, an office in America? How are things going there? Sure. So it was funny when we when we first started out. Um, I think, like I mentioned earlier, I I used to work for Sparkbox Ventures, a, a local VC firm here. So, sort of when I handed him my notice and I said, "Hey, look, Andrew, this is what I'm going up to do next," uh, he was like, "Hey, look, this sounds kind of interesting. Do you need any money?" Um, and so it was like, "Well, yeah, maybe that'd be nice. Um, you never you never sort of want to explicitly ask for it." But um, he was very kind to, along with a few other friends and family, make a make a small contribution to to get us started. Uh, and then mid last year, we went and did the the traditional sort of angel raise here in, here in New Zealand, um, which has been great to help us grow over, over the past six months. And then I think looking towards this year, we'll, we'll probably start looking towards North America uh, from a funding standpoint. Mm. That's ma- amazing. And have some 
uh, some proof in market, which is such a thing in the American funding rounds. It's really interesting. Like, I mean, we, we spent a bit of time with Twitter uh, at the end of last year, and, and their comments were, look, we think it's, uh, it's, we think it's interesting what you've done in New Zealand, Australia, and, and Asia. Um, come and prove you can do it here, and then we'll, we'll take you seriously. Um, and so effectively, everything we've done outside North America has been discounted to zero, even though I'd probably say Southeast Asia is probably a in, more interesting market uh, from a growth standpoint than uh, potentially. North America is, but yeah, that's what it's it's got to be right uh, right in their market, or it's just totally not not valid. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, hey, well, the, uh, a couple of questions that we ask everyone to kind of wrap up with there. Um, what's what's the advice um, that you have for people who maybe are thinking they've got an idea, they've got some early traction, they're thinking about making the jump? What advice do you give to entrepreneurs starting out? Sure. So I think the thing that gave us a lot of confidence going into this was the fact that we had all of these data points about are people prepared to listen? Are multiple people prepared to commentate? Can we build something which is sort of hacky on our on our weekends to make it work? And so before we ever went and said to the boss, all right, see you later, I'm, I'm off to go and um, do my own thing, we were able to get all these really interesting data points which gave us confidence that one, there was an interesting idea here uh, which gave us enough, enough confidence to say, well, we can probably walk away from our jobs and go and do something else. So my advice to... Um, like sort of entrepreneurs starting out and it was something I often saw at, um, uh, at Sparkbox was people would come up with this great idea and say this is the this is the next best thing since sliced bread um, without actually having done any sort of market validation or testing or whatever it is and you don't have to go and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that you can set up a commentary box in your apartment and do some commentary on the weekend mm-hmm. to do that really early on proof point uh, is this going to sort of work uh, type stuff. So for uh, for me, I think it's really a case of saying, what do I need to go, what data points can I go out and get without spending any money or any more time than my weekends before I go and say, all right, time to take the plunge. And do you have any kind of words you live by or things that you come back to when things get tough? Uh, I, I try not to have any sort of mottos uh, or anything I, I, I sort of go by. I think the, the, the big learning I have made through this process is, is how patient you've got to be. I think going into it, uh, I probably drank a little bit too much of the TechCrunch Kool-Aid uh, and you read TechCrunch every day and it's saying, oh, well, you're going to be a billionaire overnight and everything's just going to go um, amazingly and before you know it, you're going to be having dinner with Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. In reality, I mean, we're we're almost two years in and we're really only just getting started. Um, this is going to be another five to seven years of, of, of my life before we are at a point where this is a significant global business. And so I think the biggest thing, particularly for young entrepreneurs, is understanding that you can't get instant gratification out of entrepreneurship. It takes time. It's hard slog. You have to be prepared to put in yeah, up to 10 years of your life or more uh, just to get there. Um, it's hugely satisfying, but uh, it's, it's, it's not quite what they teach you in school or what you read on TechCrunch about how easy it is in quotation marks. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, it's fantastic to check in with you, uh, as, you as you're making these um, kind, of, kind of steps, a huge opportunity ahead. And yeah, so, so cool to chat today, Ben Reynolds. Thank you. Awesome. No, thank you for your time. Hey, Thanks. that's awesome. Um, check out Spork, which is spork.com. Co. Co. Spork.co. We've got one of these hipster domain names. Yeah, it's great. Uh, very, very international. Uh, thank you very much to Alice Webbledale for uh, producing, and thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you would like, get in touch on Twitter. It's at Simon underscore Pound. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. All this was brought to your ears by the spin-off and Vodafone Zone.
from the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.